Bright Ideas for Your Business with Amy Blaine, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Bright Ideas for Your Business with Amy Blaine is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Amy Blaine. Hi, this is Amy Blaine with Bright Ideas for Your Business, and today I'm interviewing Pierre Paul from We Hear You about his background and his business and the products that he uh, is in the process of marketing at this point and how he developed them. I'll go ahead and let you give me a little background of yourself. I know that yeah. you're not from Peoria originally, and this is going to be... Uh, podcast is going to be uh, available to people you know throughout the country so beautiful it isn't just a Peoria thing you just happen to be local to where I live so. yes I love it I love it <laughs> uh, so yes my name is Pierre Paul as you all heard and I am so excited to have this opportunity to speak with you I was born in South America but grew up most of my life in Ohio um, so Ohio was kind of where I laid claim first first had my my feet planted and grew and developed some of the skills and the personality traits that I now use in my companies. Um, and I am an implant to Peoria. Bradley University snatched me up um, where I got my bachelor's and my master's. Um, and then from there, Peoria kept, kept cultivating uh, the skills and talents that I was trying to hone in on of helping people to then make Peoria one of the places that I'm happy to call home. Cool. Well, now, what were your majors when you were at Bradley? Yeah. So I got my bachelor's in political science uh, with a minor in communications and then my master's in nonprofit leadership. So kind of an, an interesting mix there. But I always knew that I wanted to understand American politics more. And I think that stemmed from not having my citizenship and then getting my citizenship and mm -hmm. having this passion for uh, the U.S. government and the way that things work. And then from there, the nonprofit space was, I, I loved the nonprofit sector, but a free master's offered by Bradley since I was a hall director was also something hard to turn down. <laughs> I understand. Well, now, you also were involved in the technology of the products that you are marketing now. So yeah. talk a little bit about your experience with that, how that started and morphed into where you are today. Yeah, so interestingly enough, I think a lot of people have heard this story and I never get tired of telling it uh, because I'm, I'm so excited about the way that my journey has kind of maneuvered. But both of our tech inventions came to me in dreams. Um, interestingly enough, I don't have a strong technology background, I would say, but I leveraged the resources on campus to then build the technology. So after doing the research on sign language translators, I had a dream to invent a sign language translator like never before seen. And I took the expertise that I gained from the research that I've done with the data scientist who I wanted to communicate with, merged it, and that's how we got started building our sign language translator, which leverages neural networks and artificial intelligence and, and gesture recognition and, and data collection, all of these elements that are very strong to the computer science technical space. But luckily, with the research that I had done, I was able to then contribute in all of the aspects of the data scientists. So that's how the yeah, that's how the first piece got started, and then from there, the push device, another hardware device. I identified the problem. I found members of the community who have different physical disabilities, made sure that we were building in a way that was actually beneficial to their needs, mm -hmm. and then from there, 
moved into the space as well. Okay, well, so now tell me about your, your push device. How is that different than what, you know, we're used to seeing at, you know, a lot of public buildings, a lot of, you know, yeah. other places like grocery stores, that type of thing. Of course. So when you think about an accessible door, a lot of the times you're thinking of two types of doors, either the automatic ones that you see at like a Walmart or a Target, mm -hmm. or the ones that have the push button available. Mm -hmm. You hit the push button, it opens the door, and then you try to maneuver through the door. Right. Both beautiful solutions, both beautiful steps in innovation and accessibility for a group of people. The problem that we identified was how difficult it was to hit that button in the first place mm. and then maneuver out of the swing of the door before- to get back up out of the way, Exactly, basically. right? So you gotta hit the button, move out of the way, and then get through the door within about a seven to 10 second window right. based on the kind of the door that it is. So with our push devices, um, it is a personal button that can be worn as a, as a necklace, as a wristband, attached to a wheelchair, walker, crutches, a stroller that gives you that power to press it in an advantageous position for, for you to then maneuver through the door. And then in the future, it's also gonna come as an app. So you can have it on your phone and you can set it to say, I'm gonna be by this building in Bradley Hall between the hours of 11 a.m. and uh, let's say 1 p.m. Uh -huh. At these intervals of time, I would like the door to open automatically for me as I approach it because I know I will be entering or exiting that building. Right, so our device provides more autonomy, more freedom, um, and more ease of mobility than the current inventions that exist. Okay, so now, does a door have to be already set up to you know, have that type of open function? Yes, so right now there's a small piece that goes in the door. It takes about five minutes to install if you are an electrician, let's say about 10, 15 if you're not, um, but we just attach two wires to the already existing motor in the door. Okay. And then from there, it can ping to our remote device. In the future, I'd love for my team to do more research and development to see if there's any frequency we can just naturally tap into mm -hmm. on all doors. But most times I would get into some security issue. So I don't mind the simple install that we have to do currently. So this has to be something that's set up before <clears throat> someone can really use that. Mm -hmm. and, and how difficult is it to get that you know. Set up? Uh, yeah, well, not only set up, mm -hmm. but uh, get the permissions for public building people to yeah. let you do that. So luckily it's been a pretty smooth tr trial and error for us. Mm -hmm. People are excited to make their institutions more accessible, mm -hmm. especially when it's affordable, right? Right, and, and what is, is it pretty inexpensive? Yes, so it's extremely inexpensive because one of the points that we used to help decide our pricing was the fact that, if I'm not mistaken, only one in 10 Americans can afford the assistive device that they need to help them with mobility. Right. And that's insane. Mm -hmm. So we made sure that we not only priced ourselves below all of our competitors in the space, but we made our product stronger and more accessible than some of our competitors, and we have a flexible model based on what the institution needs. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have a, a price structure that will fluctuate based on the institution's needs. So it's simple to install, it is affordable for the company and then the patrons, and it just brings more accessibility and helps industries open up an untapped market. I think people need to start asking themselves when they're not seeing people with, with certain disabilities coming into their institution or, or people who look a certain way coming into their institution, it's not because those people aren't in the area, 
it's because they haven't invited them into the space. It's but so difficult that they, exactly. it's not worth it to them. Yeah. Exactly. So with the inventions that we create, we open the doors for a business to have a new untapped market bringing in revenue. Mm -hmm. But additionally, we also are making sure that the people, the people who matter the most, have the opportunity to partake naturally, normally in their way of life. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, so now talk about funding. Is there any sort of federal or local or state funding available to institutions or the people that might want to use this? Yeah, great question. Uh, so I guess funding from two different aspects for ourselves as a company and then for people who might want it as well. Mm -hmm. So ourselves as a company, we have done all the things that we have done through bootstrapping. Um, right. I bootstrapped the company, we have closed a couple deals that have brought in some revenue, and that comes heavily from belief of institutions like Bradley believing in us to give us one of our first major deals. Mm -hmm. It comes from the Peoria community believing in us and helping us tap into some grants to help build us forward. Right? Okay. It comes to different organizations like uh, the Hunter Fund, um, a company who, who figured out that they loved the mission that we had and it related to what their principles were. So there are a lot of people and monetary entities that have helped us build up where we are, but bootstrapping really was the main thing that got both of our companies off the ground. With that, now we are in a position to start finding new untapped ways to give it to communities who may not have the funding, right? Because mm -hmm. even if mm -hmm. it's still difficult, um, whether that is having it registered as medical technology and having Medicare and Medicaid. Right, kinda... then the federal government yep. pays for exactly, especially for the people that might want to use it who probably aren't going to be able to afford it. Exactly, and so we're definitely going to be moving into those avenues. As of right now, the push device is on the market and, and can be purchased pretty smoothly as we still do research and development. The sign language translator is still being built out to the best of its capability, but both of these products, when they hit in full force, we want to make sure that anyone who needs it can get it, no matter um, their socioeconomic status. Okay. Well, let's talk about the, the sign language device. I, yeah. What is it called again? I don't recall. Yeah, so I guess it, it's kind of funny. We name the company, We Hear You. Mm -hmm. The sign language translator is just the We Hear You sign language translator, okay, okay. right? And then both companies, Push and We Hear You sign language translator are under the umbrella name, We Hear You. Okay. So right. you know, kind of an error on my part, but it's a fun one nonetheless. Well, you know, you evolved, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now tell me how that works. I know um, I saw a video on your website that mm -hmm. gives an example of a coffee shop. Where yes. Someone walks in or goes in and is ordering through sign language yes. and then the, the I'll let you explain it. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that, that sounds, that's exactly how it works. Our device allows you to translate sign language using virtually any device with a camera. Okay. That's really one of the main components that separates us from any other device that exists right now. Other people in the space have created special neurological gloves. Oh. that you put on the gloves and then it has to sign into one specific camera oh, wow. and then it translates. It's not affordable. Right, that sounds really complicated. Complicated and it takes away the beauty of sign language. Sign language is more than the hands. It is the facials, it is the body language. It is a full immersion of the language and the culture behind it. So when we were creating our sign language translator, though it took us more time and it took us more data, we knew that we were creating a translator that benefited the community. Well, I would imagine it's a lot easier for people to use mm -hmm. who may, you know, who work at the coffee shop and yep. know nothing about sign language. Exactly, because all you need to do is have a device with the sign language software on it, 
Okay. An individual walks up, hey, my name, and then in real time, it's translating that into speech for the hearing person who might not know sign language. Okay. And then the next component is when you speak into the device, it then turns it into sign language for the deaf individual. Interesting. Right? And that is, that is really the beauty of our sign language translator, the fluid two-way conversation to healthily uh, create dialogue. And it, it just sounds relatively simple, especially in the day, you know, nowadays with so much AI and yep. everybody's got a, you know, a, most um, businesses like coffee shops or other, they ha already have like a the tablet, tablet right there on the counter. that's how they charge, you know, you run people's credit cards mostly. Exactly. So, and, and everybody has a cell phone with a camera on it. So I consider yeah. that would be really accessible. So if, if I'm a coffee shop, how complicated is it to get this set up? Do they just download the software onto their tablet or camera or whatever? Or yeah, so there are a couple different avenues. So first we need to make sure that we understand all of the words of their specific location, Okay. right? So we need to train our system on the words that their institution needs. Depending on the list, if it's a coffee shop, we have most of those coffee-related words already. So you input them into the, exactly. the menu into their database? Okay. Exactly. So we get their menu, we put it into the database, and then we upload the software onto their device because we're not releasing it as an app on the App Store just yet. Okay. We're leaving it as software. Then they tilt their software around, whether it's a phone or whether it's a tablet. Mm -hmm. The user signs into it, it verbalizes, they flip it back around to register whatever it needs. And it's that simple. It's just uploading the software um, once we have the menu ready. Well, and, and what kind of, I mean, you don't have to tell me the actual yeah, yeah. cost cost, but is this, you know, a relatively inexpensive cost for the coffee shop to use? Yes, so it is extremely inexpensive and our pricing fluctuates based on the amount of words, based on the frequencies. And right now we're doing a subscription model. Okay. So when we fully released our sign language translator in its full force, it will be a subscription-based model. Um, and for a coffee shop, realistically, we'd factor in how much they're making, how many of their patrons they're expecting to see, how many that they don't see but they know the community has, and we will do a trial run to see kind of the value that it presents. And then if there's a high value, we'll kind of accommodate. Scale your exactly. cost to that. Okay, exactly. that makes sense. Yep, so right now our sign language translator is actually being, we're getting help from a company in Turkey called the Doge Group, um, okay. a very large company. They're helping us kind of finalize and refine our translator okay. because we already know that it works. We already know that it works with coffee-related words. We have 98% accuracy, which I'm extremely proud of because wow. um, that is as high of accuracy as you can expect to get. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Thank you so much. Well, so now how many businesses roughly do you have using this right now or is it still kind of in the development stages? So still in the development stages, we launched a couple betas in 2020, mm -hmm. but we took it out of the locations to refine it to be better. Well, and that was community. probably right around COVID. Right around anyway, COVID so hitting, yep. So They probably didn't have a lot of traffic at that point. No, but it did work in our favor because while everyone was kind of trying to figure out how to maneuver during COVID, we were like, we know exactly what we have to do. Right, we're gonna take the time the, to, to exactly. do the work. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we did. Um, and we look forward to, to more opportunities. We just had an amazing meeting with uh, the Vienna International Airport, who's looking to make their oh, airport wow. more accessible. And so we brought in one of our partner companies, um, a company out of, out of Great Britain called Synapse. And we're now trying to find a way to merge our two technologies. Right there, there's beauty there. There's synergy there, um, and there are there are talks of a partnership with Amron and Peoria, 
to help ensure that they can serve individuals who are part of the deaf community in a more equitable way. Right. And I love that about the companies in Peoria and just around uh, the Midwest. They genuinely care about the experiences of their customers. Right. And that's huge. That is. Well, now, how did you connect with these companies from you know across the world? Yeah. Uh, is that something that you did through Bradley or just your, your own bootstrapping? Yeah, so I think one thing that um, it's hard to quantify, but the personality type that I have garnered because of my parents' guidance, because of my siblings, because of my life experiences, put me in a great place to spark and start relationships with people from all around the world. Sure. Right, and it's, I think it's just a mentality thing. So if I know I'm going into a meeting with um, a foreign entity, I am spending time before the meeting to understand enough of the language so that I can attempt to greet in that language just to show respect, to mm -hmm. show that I, I understand that there's a difference here. you took the time. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that mentality is the reason that we're able to kind of spark these connections. Um, I think at Bradley, I definitely honed in on these skills, but I do give credit to my parents and my siblings uh, for giving me great role models, for being my great role models, so that I can now always put myself in a position to to make a positive impact. So Vienna's connection came uh, because I was pitching in Atlanta. And after I gave my pitch, one of the individuals there had worked with a company mm. who knew this company overseas and they loved the way that I presented so much that they reached out to say, hey, kind of random, but this might be an opportunity for you to venture into this space. I would feel comfortable setting you up to give a pitch and introduce you because of how well you presented yourself at this event. Right, and I think it's the concept of always putting your best foot forward. So it's networking, basically. Yes, absolutely. At a very high level, it sounds like. Absolutely. <laughs> whether it's one person or whether it's 500 people, always presenting as if you are giving the biggest speech of your life. And you give, just never know who's listening, you right? No, you never know, and you want to give that respect to one or 500. Right. Well, now, tell me how you came, you determined... I want to do a company, I want to build something. Mm -hmm. Why, what, what's the angle with uh, the sign language? Is there a relative or a friend or someone that, you know, made you, inspired you to want to do this? Great question. So I think it comes twofold. Um, but the short answer is no. There's no connection it that like brought me. It doesn't like you have me. a sibling or a parent nope. or... Nope. I think where it kind of stems from, one, when my family came to the U.S., people did not want to hear what we had to say, right? People did not like the fact that we were foreigners in, the, in Ohio after, after 2000, like whatever it was, it, people weren't really a fan of us. Well, did, did you speak or did your family speak English? Yes, yeah, so everyone in my family's English was great except for mine, really. Um, and, I, and you were how old, nine? I was about, no, I was about six. You were six, mm -hmm. okay. Five or six, yep. So I was only speaking Portuguese, and it was just poorly spoken Portuguese from a five-year-old. Right, right. Um, but everyone else was speaking beautiful English. Okay, so it wasn't like there was a language barrier. Nope, just we had strong Caribbean accents. Oh. But in Guyana, where we grew up, English is the main language. We only learned Portuguese because my parents were studying and got their master's in Brazil. Oh. So there's, there's an accent, but people didn't really like that we were different in their very um, uniform town. Mm-hmm. With that, I always felt like people didn't want to hear us. They didn't care what we had to say, and we were ostracized for our differences. Wow. So with that, when I looked to the creation of, of the sign language translator, I looked to the creation of, of the push device, we create 
for people who are different than the status quo, which is not a bad thing. It's beautiful in its own mm -hmm. sense, but our society doesn't always see it that way. Or here. Or here, exactly, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that is exactly why I ended up in this space. And I always say, um, for those who, who are religious, God has a sense of humor. And I think it showcases in the idea that I spent my entire life refining my public speaking ability to use my voice to advocate for people who need it. And then- you can't speak. Exactly, right? Mm -hmm. And then the invention that comes to me in a dream, this divine intervention, is a sign language translator for a community of people who don't care how eloquently I speak. They more are concerned about the ways that I'm willing to humble myself to enter into their community. And actually interact with Interact them. using mm -hmm. sign, mm -hmm. right? And I think that is, those are the kind of the two elements that merged to, that got me to create and invent the sign language translator. Well, so when did you learn sign language then? I'm still learning sign okay. language. Okay, so it isn't like you knew it already. And... No, I, I remember the first time when I was working with my team and I had a couple of our ASL interpreters and a couple of our deaf members and we're, we're talking and we're interacting and Zach, one of our ASL interpreters goes, all right, we're gonna throw you in the deep end. And we're all like, <laughs> what do you mean? What are you talking about? And he's like, we're going to a Deaf Nation Expo in Florida. Oh. And you need to learn enough sign to be able to hold your own because I can't be by your side and network at the same time. So we're like, okay, let's figure it out. Let's get it together. And we're learning sign and we're trying to understand the culture as we're learning sign mm -hmm. language. And I'm like, Zach, what happens if, if we mess up? And he's like, it's not going to matter if you mess up as long as your intentions are pure, as long as you genuinely care about interacting with the community more than just making a dollar. And he knows that that's not who I am as a person. That's right. not what our team does. So instantly that was the fire of, okay, we're gonna learn what we can, we're gonna go, we're gonna mess up, we're gonna fingerspell a lot of things, but we're going to showcase that we are okay being a little bit uncomfortable as we try to integrate into your space right. because my space has inadvertently made you uncomfortable because of how hearing individuals have built the world around us, mm -hmm. right? Well now, I, I, I kind of forgot the fact that you're a speech kid. Yes, I am. And so that's interesting, and obviously that goes to your public speaking. Yeah, yeah. That was a big part of you. So all of a sudden, now that kind of really doesn't matter yep. that much because yep. you can't use those skills that you have honed over the years. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's interesting that you've thrown yourself, you know, most people would just roll with that and mm -hmm. say, okay, this is my strength, this is what I'm gonna do. And obviously yeah. it helps you when you're talking to organizations and, and institutions and other companies, but yeah. that, that's interesting um, that you did that. <laughs> yeah, and it is, it is comedic and I would never change it, but it is so fun to look at it from another perspective. It's, I have this skill that I love. I love public speaking, it's my passion and I love doing it. But my passion for helping others transcends my personal love for public speaking. Mm -hmm. and I well, can... but you're, you're, you're still speaking just Absolutely. in a different way. Exactly. It's the same, you know, thought process. Yep, it just, it's just... You do it differently. 1,000%. Yeah, well, and I know that Bradley uh, is known for its speech or its speech team, its yep. speech program, so it, it's, I assume that's how you ended up at Bradley. Yes, I received a speech scholarship mm -hmm. and I, it was too hard for me to deny it. I mean, it was my, my ability to do what I love, what I've been loving to right. do on Bradley's campus, an amazing university. So that's definitely what got me there. And I think what kept me is Bradley and the Peoria community. That, that's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Tell me a little bit, I know on your website I saw there is a book that you authored. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about that and, and where, how that started and how that you know, integrates with what you're doing with your two products. Yeah, so when we came to the U.S., even though we were struggling and, and there was tension with the, the city that we were in and, and visas and working and stuff, my father always used to read us bedtime stories at night. Sure. Right, and then when we got old enough, he would have us create bedtime stories as a family mm -hmm. to then deliver. So I always had a love for children's books. Mm -hmm. And I remembered how much I learned from my children's stories. So one day I was doing research on children's books that, in terms of numbers, so which children's books have the most, which ones have the least, and no surprise here, in terms of diverse children's books for people with different neurological disabilities or different exceptionalities, less books. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to Cardin, um, who is actually a member of the We Hear You team. Her name is Cardin Wyckoff. Okay. And I was like, Cardin, I see your alias when you go and advocate as Cardin, the wheelchair warrior. And I was like, I love that. Is there any way you would allow me to write a story with you as the main character, following a student throughout her day at school as she fights to be accepted because she feels as though she needs to prove herself because that's a common theme inside of these communities. They feel as though they need to prove that they're good enough to exist when it's not the case. Mm -hmm. Cardin said yes. We got working. Um, I, I wrote the book and made sure that Cardin approved. We got an amazing illustrator, uh, Kiana, and I just found her on social media. I leveraged social media. So it wasn't was someone like, that you knew or nope. went to school with or something? Nope. Everyone on the team were kind of people that I got to know throughout the years, except um, our editor, the editor of the book. She works actually for the New York Times. Her and I went to high school together. Oh. Um, and it's funny, in high school, I don't think we necessarily got along very well. <laughs> but after high school, I think we, we created a stronger relationship and a bond just because we both respected the space that each other worked in and what we do mm -hmm. as people. Mm -hmm. In high school, we're so focused in on our own groups. Well, yeah, you have all that baggage of being a teenager in high school. <laughs> Seriously. So then the blinders are taken off, and I have a, a strong team with, with Kiana as the illustrator, Becca as the editor, Cardin as the muse for the story, and then myself as the author, and we put together this book, we self-publish it um, on Amazon, and it's been about four months since it's been on the market. Oh, We're, so it's pretty brand new then. I yes, didn't realize that. Okay. Pretty new. We are at about 430 copies sold, um, which is Great. huge for a self-published um, author. Hopefully, self-published authors hope to sell 200 first year. I think it's 300 first year. Wow. And we're at about 424 months in. I'm hoping to hit 1,000 by the end of the year. Um, but it's been amazing, an amazing journey. I, I hit a milestone birthday-wise. So you're very young. You're younger <laughs> than my daughter. Um, what do you aspire to be, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now? What is it yes. that you'd like to accomplish? Ooh, great question. So I guess in 10 years, I will be 35. Um, I'm 24 now, turned 25 in June, but I'll be about 35. In the next 10 years, I hope to uh, be on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Uh, last year, I was a semifinalist, but I was very honored to be a part of even just a smaller and section. You've got of five that. years to go. I do. <laughs> um, I would love to get a TED Talk. It's always been one of my dreams. And those are kind of the two selfish goals that I've always kept for myself. I would mm -hmm. like a TED Talk. I would like to be Forbes 30 under 30. And then aside from that, the next 10 years, is seeing how much of an impact I can make on different communities. I want We Hear You to be a household name when it comes to accessibility. I want people to instantly think of We Hear You as a company when it comes to a group of people who care about another community, 
even if they're not a part of that community. And I want that to be the ripple that permeates throughout the rest of our society well beyond, I, well beyond my, my time on earth, my 10, 20, 50, 60, 70 years. But I think the next 10 years is just continuing to build up the strength for the products that we've created, getting it throughout the world. And then from there, I want to see the ripples continue to hit other, other people positively so they want to make their own ripples in society as well. Do you have other products that you have yeah. in mind that you want to develop that yes. are related to what you're doing right now? We actually, I have four other inventions in my mind that have not hit the market yet or have not okay. seen the light of day. Well, it takes a um, few years for the seed to develop, I know. It does. So it's definitely developing and I'm waiting until both of these inventions are in a stronger place for where I want them to be. So hopefully by 20, by the time I'm 26, these inventions will be exactly where I want them to be and I can release two other ones. Um, two of them include accessibility, two of them do not. Um, okay. So We Hear You is going to be a fleet, uh, a company that just is known for inclusivity, accessibility, and equity. The opportunity for people to achieve equally no matter where they come from, no matter their, their race, gender, creed, whatever it is. I want We Hear You to be a company of equity and our inventions are going to be always tailored towards making it a more accessible and equitable world. With that in mind, do you, I, I, I've heard uh, on news programs, uh, companies that are trying to make, when they're looking at employees, mm -hmm. to make their company more inclusive, yeah. which is kind of a new thing. I mm -hmm. don't think most CEOs, I mean, obviously it depends on the size of the company, Yeah. but you know, the larger the company, you would think that that would be something that would be on their radar at least. Yeah. Do you know much about, is that something that is on your you know, 25 year plan to help drive that a little bit too? Yes, so believe it or not, with all the free time that I have, <laughs> um, one of my favorite jobs is traveling and leading diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings okay. for larger for companies, corporate. exactly, okay. to help them understand how to be more inclusive and accessible to all of their, their employees, all of their uh, customers that they service. So I do see that moving in our society, and I guess I have a hot take on it. Okay. I think what's interesting about what we're doing, I love diversity, equity, and inclusion. I love the fact that we're moving into that space, right? Mm -hmm but I think we are trying to solve a problem in the shortest amount of time that was created over hundreds of years, right? right? And I think we're trying to, to um, equate speed with success or mm -hmm. speed with a job well done when it's not. I think a lot of these companies are trying to move too quickly to prove that they're these things as opposed to spending the time to build the foundation. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that's going to be easily done or quickly done. Nope. Um, and that's okay. But you have to make sure to keep moving in that direction. Exactly. I imagine that would be the challenge. Exactly. Um, so I do see that happening throughout the U.S. Um, and really throughout the world, but mainly throughout the U.S. in terms of how the U.S. is moving in this initiative to be more inclusive and, and equitable. And I love it. I'm definitely at the epicenter of that. And I love the idea of continuing to grow in that space. And I'm going to keep leading DEI trainings. I'm going to keep talking to organizations. I'm going to keep opening up the floodgates for people to know this world is for you. Everyone belongs in this conversation. Well, and they have a lot to offer that they're exactly. not really getting the opportunities to do. To exactly. Exactly. Not to mention, inclusivity is so much more than just race. 
Diversity is so much more than just race. There's diversity of thought. There's diversity in food preferences. There's diversity in so many facets that when you realize that, understanding that race is a vital point of diversity, gender is a vital point of diversity, you open up the floodgates so everyone knows that you are all diverse and your diversity is respected, right? Mm -hmm. And from there, it's comfortable. Right. It is comfortable to make a space that is, that is welcoming to all people. Do you find that uh, the larger companies are more likely to do that or is it more just the um, culture of the company that would determine that? It is absolutely the culture of the company because sadly, I love small businesses and I think small businesses always need more love. The difficulty is they're so focused on staying afloat right, right. that sometimes even it's difficult. It's difficult. Whereas larger companies don't need to worry about it as much about staying afloat. They're so focused on their PR that they're like, well, we have to make sure that we're inclusive. Mm -hmm. But if you're not doing it for the right reason, the foundation is going to crumble. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about diversified markets over, you know, the internationally? Absolutely. Not only is diversity of employees important because those employees have their own perspective, those employees and those uh, patrons that you service get you to the diverse market on a global level. People come from all over the world. They come with their own life experiences, they come with their own cultural backgrounds that without a diverse group of people working with you, you're never, never gonna be able to- Exactly, you're never gonna be able to make those connections and, and touch those different entities. Because even with ourselves, now that we've ventured into the global space for our sign language translator, we have uh, Turkish sign language, and we yeah. have German sign language, and we have uh, British sign language. I didn't even think about that. They all probably have their own exactly. version of sign language. Exactly, and wow. their intonations and their facials change drastically. Diversity in the workplace lets you expand beyond your narrow perspective. It takes off the blinders to say, oh, there is a world around us. Yeah, that, that never even occurred to me, ASL, American Sign Language. Mm -hmm. like, oh, American is the first word of that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. yeah. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share about what you're doing? Or, or you're, obviously, you're very passionate about what you're doing, which you so much. helps. I know that it seems like in the world where AI is like everywhere now, mm -hmm. and it's becoming bigger and, you know, heaven knows where that's going to take us. Yeah. But it, because of that, it feels like the one-on-one -on -one connections that mm -hmm. people make, and especially in a business sense, yeah. are even more and more important. I agree. It's that high touch, uh, high, <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what it seems like you're trying to really uh, work toward and, Absolutely. and help businesses achieve. Yeah. It, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. You said it so beautifully. I'm, <laughs> I'm stunned for a second. Yes, that's exactly it. We're trying to help businesses achieve this level of um, personal experiences, the beauty of the accessibility space. And I think the only things that I want people to, to know and believe in and understand, um, diversity and inclusion should never be the afterthought of innovation, it should be the foundation. I say that all the time, it's on the website, but what it means is when you build with diversity in mind, with inclusivity in mind, you don't need to go back and rebuild mm -hmm. the foundation because you missed something. Yeah. You have built a foundation that is so strong that anything that you add on top of it creates a beautiful empire, right? So I think that's the main thing that I want people to understand. And there is nothing that can't be done. There is absolutely nothing that can't be done. And this is coming from, from someone who, our family came to the U.S., we battled with poverty, only one of us were able to work because of visa situations. We came from a, a third world country, Guyana, where I love my home. And we come to the U.S., and now 
everyone in my family, minus me and one of my siblings has a PhD, right? We, we've all achieved this level of education because we worked hard, because we, we cultivated um, our, our strengths and our, and our love and our heart for, for the communities around us. We leverage the beauty of the world around us, right? I have two tech companies that are doing extremely well given what COVID did and given not having a background in the tech space and I'm building for communities simply because I'm able to do so, right? Because I have the, the, the air in my lungs, I have, I have the beat in my heart and that is all that it takes to be able to choose to act, mm -hmm. so. Well, that was very wonderfully uh, stated and I genuinely appreciate your time and sharing what you're up to yeah. with us. Um, and everybody should visit your website, which yes, is? Please do, wehearyouasl.com. Okay. Visit our website, find me on LinkedIn, and also Cardin the Wheelchair Warrior. You can find it on Amazon, Google Play, all of those stores, and hopefully soon in Barnes and Nobles as well. Great, great. Well, thank you again, Pierre. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Bright Ideas for Your Business with host Amy Blaine. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates and we'll see you on the next episode.